Today's episode is brought to you by Tribe Skincare. It's an Australian-made, vegan-friendly and 100% natural skincare and makeup brand, specifically formulated for sensitive skin. Hey guys, welcome to the Mental Makeover Podcast. I'm Lauren Curtis. You've probably heard the phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side, but I believe it's greener where you water it. This podcast is here to provide you with meaningful advice from myself and others in order to give your little patch of grass the best chance to grow and flourish. Hi everyone, today's episode is all about money. I know this might turn some people off because money is something that women don't really talk much about. It's a bit taboo or it's too scary or it's too serious or boring, but I think it's something we really need to start a conversation about. And that's exactly why my guest today, Victoria Devine from She's on the Money, is the perfect person to have that conversation with because she has built this beautiful community of like-minded women who talk about money together and share their tips and their tricks and their lessons and their hardships and it's just something that is so overdue. I actually took to Instagram and asked you guys what you need help with when it comes to money. Like what do you struggle with? What don't you understand? What could you use advice on? And so many great questions, so many insightful answers. It's just jam-packed full of super helpful information delivered in such a way that is super easy to understand and isn't boring or overwhelming. It won't go over your head. It's bite-sized bits of really, really powerful, helpful information that we all need to know. I hope you guys enjoy. So the number one question that came through was how do we budget and save? I think a lot of people are under the impression that you can't budget without kind of sacrificing a quality of life or what you enjoy or things that make you happy. But I'm sure that's not true. So what are your top tips for budgeting and saving? I don't know where to start with this. (laughs) There's so many of them. Honestly, I think it's more about understanding your own values and understanding what you want to achieve. So many people say, oh, I can't save. I don't know what I'm doing. And then you sit them down, look at their income and they have the capacity to save. However, they're valuing other things above prioritizing their savings. Um, And it's very easy as a young person to prioritize going out with your friends or, you know, going on a holiday or going overseas as your next big money goal, but we're not thinking big picture enough. So I think we really need to not only set money goals that are in line with our values, but make sure that we know what our values are to begin with. It's really hard to know where we're going and the things we want to achieve if we don't have clarity on one, what our budget is, but two, what that budget actually should look like to us. To jump in, I really, really liked how you said, I can't remember what you said verbatim, but I think you said something like sacrificing now in order to live better in the future. So it it isn't like you're sacrificing everything forever. It's like you have to have the patience and the willingness to lower your 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 usual standard maybe a little bit now to ultimately benefit yourself in the future does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely it makes sense and that is I'm glad you mentioned it because it's something I'm really passionate about because often we're using these words that have negative connotations to them like sacrifice and deprive and those are negative like what are we actually sacrificing our future financial security Mm. like no what are we actually depriving ourselves of future financial security. Um, I believe that people see it often as, oh, I'm depriving myself of going out for drinks with my friends. And it's like, well, actually, why can't we start money conversations with your friends so that you can all be in better financial positions? You don't have to go out for drinks every single Friday night. Why can't you do a cheese platter and, you know, host that at home with your friends? Mm. Um, And, you know, maybe change the way we discuss money in our friendship groups so that we are empowered instead of feeling pressured to do things that maybe we didn't feel we wanted to. Mm. So it's more about changing a mindset and saying, all right, instead of depriving myself, I'm actually going to think of future self. I'm actually going to put myself first for a minute 
and do what I believe is the ultimate form of self-care and that's putting money away so that you're never in a position where you are financially constrained. So whether that is a job, a relationship you don't want to be in or, you know, a holiday you want to go on, I think it's important to put your future self first because she's going to thank you for it later. That's it. Like I guess it comes down to what are your priorities? Like not everyone listening to this might be interested in saving for a house or going on big holidays. Maybe some people just like having a, you know, a really simple life. They don't have any big goals. They, they're just happy taking it day by day. Other people might really like security. I'm one of those people. I need to know that I have enough money in the bank, that I can do things that I want to do if I want to do them, and that maybe it means that you have to take some hits now or you have to kind of, as you said, it's like do you spend – every single Friday night ordering Uber Eats or do you go to the shops and do you make dinner just to save those couple of dollars that in the scheme of things will add up? It's like it's it's about priorities. If you want something enough, you will find a way to make it happen. And I think a lot of people think that they they, they want the cake and they want to eat it too. It's like, oh, but I, but I want this, but then I want that. And that's possible sometimes, but for the most part, I guess nothing good comes, comes easy. So you've really got to – you've got to focus on – your end goal. Yeah, absolutely. And you can't focus on an end goal if you don't have them. Yeah. So you have to sit down and have a really good think about what do you want your life to look like? What are those feelings that make you feel secure? Everybody has different financial goals and that is okay. Like you might have the financial goal of purchasing a home, whereas your friend might not have that value. And that's actually okay. We don't all need to buy property. And I think that that seems to be a very Australian thing to say, (laughs) right? Save up for your first home and purchase that. That's living the Australian dream. And it's just not the reality of so many millennials now. We're in this position where in the future, a lot of people aren't going to be able to afford property. Mm -hmm. So we need to be looking into alternative investments that can still help us create the wealth that we need to be able to retire comfortably. Amen. So what are your, like, say, I don't know, top five tips or the most important little tips and tricks that you have that can really help people that are struggling to budget better and save better? Or save more, I should say. (laughs) No, it's, it's a good question. And the first one is be really honest with yourself. So sit down, and I've said this on one of my podcasts actually, and outline what you earn, what you spend, what you own and what you owe. And just be really honest with yourself about those figures. You need to understand where you're starting so that we know where we're going. And it's one thing to say, look, Victoria, I really, really want to save. Well, that's a great goal, but if you're in a lot of personal debt and have a credit card owing, saving should not be your priority. Getting rid of that debt should be. So we need to understand where we're starting from so that we can create a clear final destination so that we know how to get there and we know when we're going to arrive. So understanding your situation to begin with. And then also being honest with yourself, looking at your budget. So many times I see women come to me and we have a chat about, oh, Victoria, I can't save. And the problem is they're spending on discretionary things. It's not lifestyle. It's not their rent that is sapping away their money. It's actually just their discretionary spending habits, like it's clothes, it's shoes, it's makeup. It's things that they think that they need when in reality they're just trying to appease this shopping addiction that they (laughs) potentially have. And like, don't get me wrong, I'm very good at buying shoes and I'm even better (laughs) at buying makeup. But I think that we need to be honest with ourselves and go, all right, well, what's a reasonable budget for myself for makeup each and every single month so that I'm not taking that away from myself, but I'm being responsible about that spending. How much of your weekly income do you think you should be saving? Oh, this is such a tough one. It's not a tough one because there is a right and wrong. There's actually not a right and wrong when it comes to how much you should be saving. It's completely dependent on your personal situation. If you read a book that says you need to be saving 20% of your income, well, that's fantastic. But does that actually apply to your financial situation? Can you actually take 20% of the money that you earn or have and put that aside. For some people, that's actually really unrealistic. For some people who, you know, have quite low incomes or are potentially on Centrelink, they actually don't have that capacity to save. And I think we need to be a little bit gentler on ourselves mm. and not hold ourselves to these ex- <laughs> and not hold ourselves to these expectations that we will be, you know, saving and investing and, you know, saving for our first home when our income actually doesn't support that. So I think we need to be really realistic, but I do believe that if you're in a situation where you have a good income, maybe it's your grad job or maybe you are, you know, working full time, 
a 20% buffer or a 20% goal is often a really good one to start working with. But that's obviously going to be really flexible depending on your financial situation. So as I mentioned before, that could be less. But if you're in a position where you still live at home and have a full-time income, it absolutely should be more. You need to be making hay while the sun is shining because if you're still living at home and have a full-time income and don't have a lot of the costs that are associated with living out of home, you really need to be making the most of that because that doesn't come up often. No, and that makes a really nice segue into this isn't really a question that someone's asked, but I think it would be kind of underpinning a lot of people's questions even if they don't realize it, it's comparison. And so often we see, even if it's our friends or people we follow on social media or family or anyone around us that might be looking like they've got all this money in the bank and they're buying all these nice things and they've got designer bags and designer shoes. And then we look at our own situation and we're like, wow, I must be failing. Why am I doing as well as them? Like, what's wrong with me? I'm not good enough. And then all of our self-doubt comes in. I'll let you actually take take this on because you can probably describe it better than me. But what was that quote that you shared on your podcast recently that I think summarizes this whole thing really, really well? Yeah, I think that there's a really great quote um, that really applies to this. And that is, if you live fake rich now, you're going to live real poor later. And for me, that is such a, um, I guess, poignant example of what's going on. You know, I think it's important that we aren't actually comparing where we are starting to somebody else's middle Mm -hmm. and being in a position where we understand that we don't see everybody's financial situations. So, you know, people don't walk around in the Sims with a bubble above (laughs) their head with all their information about, you know, if it's green, they're good. If it's red, they're mad. Um, We don't actually get to understand people's complex financial situations or the things that play into why they make their decisions. And your money story is so unique to you. And by comparing your money story to somebody else's money story, you're actually insulting yourself. You're not giving yourself enough credit for where you've come from and you're not giving yourself enough credit for where you have the capability to go to. So I think it's really important that we put ourselves first and don't compare ourselves to other people because it just makes us unhappy. However, it's really easy to do that in 2020 when Instagram is, you know, absolutely the king of the internet. It's really easy to scroll through and see people's Gucci belts or their expensive (laughs) holidays or, you know, the makeup that they've bought or the things that they're doing and think that that's reality. I think it's really important to see that, you know, often people are only ever going to show you the good parts of their lives on Instagram. Like I'm not ever going to share, like in all honesty, I don't share bad parts of my life on Instagram because that's not what I'm thinking when I'm having a bad time or, you know, a bad day. But when I'm having a good day, I'm like, oh, wow, like I'm, you know, having a couple of drinks with my girlfriends. I'd love to share this. That's when people share things. So if we see things on social media, we really need to be aware that we're only seeing those good parts. And what we're not seeing is the debt people are going into. I just wanted to pop that in there to kind of preface this whole interview because I honestly think there would be people listening to this that might be putting pressure on themselves to to earn more or to buy this or to buy that just because it's what they feel like they should be doing. There is nothing wrong with not wanting to buy a house and not have a nice car. It's like if you're happy living day to day, week to week, whatever, like I just want to put that out there because I'm sure you feel the same way. Like we all have different values and goals and beliefs and it's all okay. That is so important. Everybody is on a different journey. Whether your job is something that you absolutely love and you don't want to change it and you love the income you have or you have in the back of your mind that you want to start a business and be an absolute entrepreneur and, you know, be in a position where you're worth millions, those two things are very different and those two things are awesome. Like there's nothing wrong with either of those. And I think it's important to point out we're all on different journeys. I speak to people every single day and everyone has a different set of goals. Everyone has a different set of values and priorities. And, you know, I think we need to check ourselves to make sure that our goals and our priorities are aligned. Because if our goals are, you know, have all of these big things or, you know, go on a big holiday or create financial freedom, but our reality is we're spending it all on physical things and we're not actually putting anything away for future us, we're going to end up in a situation where we were incredibly unhappy because we haven't created the reality we want. 
Yes. And I think it's also not too late to start because I think a lot of people, I mean, this is a question that we can go into later, but a lot of people ask, like, how can I get over my limiting money beliefs? And I think there should also be a point made about We've all kind of, I think I know especially, I didn't come from money. When I started earning more money, I was like, oh my gosh, the world is my oyster and I could buy all these fancy things and I bought all this designer stuff and that was such a waste of money now. But I kind of had to go through that when I was younger because it was like a rite of passage, I guess. Like it's just not a rite of passage, but it's just a part of my growing up and my evolution. And now that I look back, I'm like, okay, I will never do that again. But I learned from it. So it's never too late to start putting good practices in place. And yeah, don't be hard on yourself if you've made bad decisions because you can always improve. And leading on to the next question, which is personal loans. Do you have any advice on minimizing them or getting rid of them? completely. So I think that there's a misconception that sometimes it's a little bit too late, but I want to point out here that it's absolutely never too late. I have clients who are in their 20s. I have clients who are in their 60s and all of them want to change their money habits. So there's this Chinese proverb that I actually have printed and it's on my desk um, because I just love it and I share it with a lot of my clients and it says, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is now. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit silly, but I really like it because I feel as though It's a reminder that, you know, you don't have to have already done these things. You don't have to have already been an absolute whiz at money. Anyone can learn new habits and new tricks and, you know, new ways of managing things. And it's about understanding your money story and how you got there. And the reason I think it's so important to understand your money story is because it's going to stop you from going there again if that's not in line with your values. So if you're starting with a large amount of personal debt or you're starting with a clean slate, we're all starting somewhere. And I think we need to just wipe it off the table and be like, all right, well, if I'm in debt, that's okay. What am I going to do to get out of it? So instead of judging yourself and saying, oh, but I've racked up so much debt on a credit card, get some advice. If you feel overwhelmed by it, a financial advisor is going to be able to sit down with you, talk you through the steps to get out of it. There's also financial counseling services, which are really, really great and easily accessible. But if you want to tackle it yourself and you're on that journey, absolutely fantastic. Debt snowball it. So start paying off the smallest debt first, because that's going to give you that gratification that you're getting rid of things. So instead of having that delayed gratification of, oh, okay, well, one day I'm in debt. It's like, well, where can I start? All right. I have $500 of afterpay debt. I'm going to pay that off first and get that off my plate and get that off the list of things that I owe. So you're getting rid of the smallest things first because that means that you are going to feel rewarded as the process goes along, but also you're working towards the bigger goal. Someone asked, is afterpay really that bad and does it affect your credit history? Uh, Yes and yes, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Does Um, it actually affect your credit history? Yes, absolutely it does. Afterpay is so topical at the moment. It's something that I talk about with my community a lot and something that I think people are really unsure of whether it's good or whether it's bad. There are so many positive advocates for it. And whilst I I really believe in Afterpay as a product, it is fantastic. It does what it said it was going to do. It's run by some really brilliant people. It's, you know, got a really good share price for those interested in investing. Um, But it is actually something that enables us to spend money that we do not have. It is a product that helps us spend it before we've earned it and justify things to ourselves. So if you're using Afterpay, I'm assuming it's because you don't have enough money in your account to purchase that dress or pair of shoes or whatever it is you want to purchase outright at that point in time. And at that point in time, instead of Afterpay, what I'd prefer people to think is actually, do I need this? Why am I making this purchase? Whilst there are so many reasons why Afterpay could be good, like maybe you get paid monthly and you're cash flowing it for yourself. I think that we need to really think about why we are making these purchases and realizing that it actually just enables us to make spur of the moment decisions on things that we otherwise wouldn't have justified if I'd said, right, Lauren, $200 is going to come out of your account right now if you buy that dress. It's a lot easier to swallow if there's a payment plan and you only owe 50 upfront. What people don't realize about Afterpay though is it's actually a form of debt. It is a form of credit, it is a line of credit, and it is on your credit file. 
So if you are using Afterpay, whilst you know it's not a bad form of debt, it is just a credit service that you use. Banks, if you're going for a first home or if you're going for your second home or even your 30th home, are going to look at Afterpay as a way of you not managing your cash flow. Afterpay wow. is an yeah, Afterpay is an indicator that you are not able to manage your money. So you're using a service that can help you manage your money. So it puts you in a position where banks are kind of side looking you and going, "Mm, if she's using Afterpay, is she someone we really want to give a big debt to? She's going to be able to actually pay that back if she's not actually able to manage her money in the first place. That's fascinating because I remember speaking to someone, I think it was a mortgage broker, and they said that a lot of banks now, because they're getting so strict on giving out uh, home loans, they even check if you gamble with like TAB or if you go like, you know, on overseas holidays frequently, like things like that, that you'd never really even think twice about. But all these little choices that we make with our money, we are actually being held accountable to them eventually. Yeah. And do you know what's another one that I don't think many people realize is uber eats oh no yes (laughs) i know it's heartbreaking i'm so sorry to let you know um but uber eats is something that you know they're looking at as you spending more than you need to so Mm -hmm. when a bank looks at your and like let's disclaim this really quickly i'm not a mortgage broker i do have mortgage brokers on my team though who do know what they're talking about so i do have these conversations often but More recently, we've had banks come back and say, oh, your discretionary spending is really, really high. And my clients are going, but my grocery bill I wrote down is $100 a week. Like, that's really reasonable. And the banks come back and say, yeah, but what's all this Uber Eats? Like every Friday night, you're ordering, you know, $80 worth of food and you're ordering lunches to work. Like your discretionary spending is really high. So I think the biggest tip here for me or for everybody is to actually start thinking about your spending habits before you go for a home loan and do that six months in advance. So start cutting back on those things because what's important to a bank is not just that you have the deposit, like saving up the deposit is only half the battle when purchasing your first home. Cash flow is the second part. So the bank will say, all right, well, even if you've saved $200,000 for your home, have you actually got the cash flow to start paying us back? Like, are you going to be able to pay back the rest of the mortgage and the money that we've lent you? And if you have bad spending habits and, you know, you say, all right, well, I've saved $200,000, but when I get my mortgage, I'm going to cut back. You know, I'm going to stop Uber Eats. I'm going to stop, you know, spending so much money on clothes. Banks actually don't want to accept that. They want you to prove that you're fiscally responsible before they hand that loan over to you. I think that could be one of the most important things that people take away from this episode because I did not even know that. And I have a mortgage with my current house, so I've thankfully jumped past that hurdle. But knowing that if I was to like, you know, apply for another house or sell this house and move on, like that could really affect my ability to be able to get the next house. Despite, as you said, having the deposit there, it's like, I know that I use Uber Eats a lot and I get lazy with my cooking and like things like that, that so many of us wouldn't even think twice about. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that's going to be a real eye opener for a lot of people because it especially was for me. So very interesting. I think so many people get in the mentality of, well, when I have a mortgage, I'm going to have better spending habits. Mm. When I get a mortgage, I'm not going to go out for dinner as much because I'll have a house. It's like, actually, you need to prove that. You need to prove that you are fiscally responsible and able to pay that debt back. And the only way to do that is to show that, you know, you have good saving habits and you're good at using the money that comes in. It's not necessarily about how much you earn. Whilst that's obviously a very big part of it, it's actually about how you use the money that you earn to prove that you're financially responsible. It makes perfect sense. I mean, if we were a bank lending money to someone that we knew nothing about besides what they've shared with us, like you wouldn't want to lend your money to someone who doesn't show obvious signs of, yeah, good money management. Anyway, that's amazing. Kind of leading on from that, investing. This question was very popular as well. And I would love to hear this myself because, again, as I said earlier, my family come from very humble beginnings. I don't have parents that are like, you know, uh, dabbling in stocks and investments and all this stuff. Like I had known nothing about it, but it's something I'm really interested in. And I think a lot of other people are too. So are you able to give us a brief rundown on like, what is it? Why is it important? How do you get started? What are the risks? All of that, all of that good stuff. 
All right. So everything that I've learned in a finance degree in two seconds, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Um, I I am here for it. All right. So I think the most important thing here is to understand what an investment actually is. And if we want to define that really quickly, it's something that we purchase with our money that we expect to produce income or profit for us. And I am quite passionate about investment, as I'm sure you will know already. And my favorite type of investment is something that we purchase that not only receives income, but also increases in value. So a house is an example of that where, you know, a rental house, not just your family home, but a home where you purchase it and lease it out. So you get rental income plus, you know, the growth of how much that property is worth 10 years from now um, and things like shares where a share increases in value, but also pays you what's called a dividend. And a dividend is that really small amount of money that that company makes each year that is given to you because you are technically a part owner of that company. So I think the most important thing here is we are investing to create wealth. Like that is our ultimate goal. And to create wealth, we essentially need to do two things. And we need to understand this before I even talk to you about, you know, what's a share or, you know, what's an investment property do? We need to create wealth. And to do that, we need to spend less than we earn and we need to invest consistently over the long term. And that sounds really simple, but it's not as easy as it sounds. Ideally, if you spend less than you earn and you're investing regularly and continuously, you can build up a large investment base that going to cover your income needs. So that means that you're going to invest money and that money is going to make you money. And then that money that you've made is going to be the money that you live off. So you don't need a job because your investment is essentially paying your money to you so that you can live the life you want. And that's what I'm talking about when I say something like, you know, I'm investing for financial freedom. That's so that I have an asset that produces me enough of an income that I can survive without turning up to work. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. So the important part here is understanding, you know, well, why should I invest now? I'm, you know, in my early 20s. Like, what does that actually mean? The power in that is actually in a thing called compound interest. And that's where the interest that you earn on your investment in the next year earns interest. And then that is essentially free money. So it's the thing that enables your money to grow exponentially over time. So it's the money your money makes that then makes you money. That's something I can't stress enough. When you are young and you are in your 20s, you have this insane power to create wealth that other people don't have. So like, why is this important? What's that actually look like? I'm sure you've heard before that you should invest. If you are 21 and you start investing $500 per month today, when you retire, you will have a $1.2 million share portfolio or investment portfolio. And that's crazy. And I know it sounds really far away. But $500 every single month until the age of 60 for you, if you're 21, equals $240,000. $240,000 invested over that long period of time actually turns into $1.2 million. That's a lot of money you didn't have to save. And it's something that if you start young, the power of that is crazy. But if you start a little bit later, you're putting yourself back. So it's important to start early with investing because if you start early, that $500 a month, whilst that is a lot of money, is actually not that much in the grand scheme of things because if you get to the age of 45, you then need to put close to $4,000 a month away to achieve that same goal that 21-year-old you could have started with 500. Wow, I love that comparison. It really puts it into perspective. Yeah, I think, I think it's just so important to understand why that makes sense and why it's important for you. And we always say, you know, start young. I wish I'd started young. We hear it from our parents like, oh, I wish I had that information earlier. It actually impacts you massively. And whilst that sounds like, oh, look, maybe I'll earn that money later in my life. Maybe I'll put it away at a different time. We start spending the money that we earn. Mm. If you get to the age of 40 and you're like, you know what, I need to start investing for my future. Where are you going to pull that $4,000 per month from? Yeah. It is going to be incredibly hard to do that because you've already spent it on your lifestyle. It's maybe in a mortgage. Maybe it's in the car repayments. Maybe it's paying your kids' school fees. So it's not that easy when you get to the age of 40 to pull that money away from another priority of yours to invest it. But if we start strong and early and consistently, we just pretend that we didn't have that $500 to begin with. 
and always put it away. And we know that our lifestyle will adjust. And, you know, if you earn more money, maybe we can invest more or maybe you can change your lifestyle. But the priority here is to invest first so that you are giving back to future you. You're creating this life that she could never have dreamed of. And I think that that's really, really special. That sure is. So if someone has $500 to to invest, where would you suggest? I mean, I think the best thing to do if you could afford it, I'm guessing, is to go speak to an actual financial advisor. So I think it is important to note, and I'm not sure if you've touched on it before, but I am actually a qualified financial advisor. So I do give financial advice as my job. Um, But if I was going to start talking about investing $500, I think it's really important to understand where you're beginning from. So, you know, is that $500 something that you can actually commit to each and every single month? Is it just $500 that you have sitting over to the side that was a gift? What is most important for me when starting to talk about investment is not actually having a mass amount of cash to start with. Like you can start investing with as little as $1. And whilst sometimes that's not the best idea because there's things like brokerage fees and it is quite expensive to get into the market, especially if you're investing low level amounts, investing $500 a month, if that's your goal, start proving it to yourself by putting $500 into a savings account every month for six months. And once you have done that, and proven to yourself that you can save that money, then it's time to have a chat with a financial advisor. In the interim, it's not a recommendation, but I think it would be important to start looking into what an investment is and maybe using and having a look at some of those micro investing platforms. There are a number of like Roundup products that round up, you know, your nearest dollar and invest that for you or micro investing platforms that you can just put a small amount of money in to see how it works so that you can start educating yourself on what the share market does, how it acts and how it performs and how comfortable you are with that. Because investment looks different for everybody. Investment is something that it's called a risk profile and there are different risk profiles that exist. So there's a conservative risk profile for someone who really doesn't want to take much risk with their money. And then there are high growth portfolios where people are more willing to take on more risk. Investment risk is the possibility that you might lose some or all of your initial investment. So that's really important to take into consideration when talking about investment. And the higher the risk your asset is, the more likely you are to lose it but the more likely you are to have a higher return. Mm. So it's really important to be talking to a financial advisor. And I know that sounds so dry, but talking to a financial advisor to make sure that that asset or that investment actually works for you and is going to have long-term success. Because it's one thing to talk to someone about buying, you know, an apartment off the plan and, you know, you don't need much deposit. And it's another to actually invest in an asset that's going to exponentially create you wealth over the long term. Tribe Skincare is an Australian-made, vegan-friendly and 100% natural skincare and makeup brand, specifically formulated for sensitive skin. I personally love Tribe Skincare's Mineral Powder Foundation. I did a post on this on Instagram recently, which you guys loved. It's lightweight, it has an SPF of 15, and the brand has a heap of products for sensitive skin in general that I think you guys would love. So you can use my code LOS10 for 10% off site-wide and free express shipping at tribeskincare.com.au. Code is available for two weeks only. So what do we actually look for in a financial advisor? Because I hadn't ever seen one. I had never even, I mean, yeah, I was kind of thrown into this whole world and I've been taking it day by day and I found one through a recommendation and I haven't actually gone forward with that person. But I'm thinking after listening to you speak that like, okay, this is the push that I need to actually do it. I think my main fear is that it's risky and I I don't know how it really works. So what do you look for in a financial advisor? Look, in my perfect world, every single person would have access to a financial advisor because it's that friend that you have that you can call to check in with before making a big purchase or investment decision. Um, But in reality, it's actually not an option that's open to everybody because often the cost is prohibitive. So I don't want to say, oh, everybody get a financial advisor. Whilst it is a really good idea, there are fees that are applicable and often there is an upfront fee for your advice and then there's often a monthly fee that goes along with that. 
So I think it's really important that you educate yourself financially so you know what to expect. But if you are looking for a good financial advisor, it's really important to do your research, understand how they're accredited and what type of business they run to make sure that they align to your values. Sitting down with a financial advisor shouldn't feel scary. It should feel empowering and you should have someone sitting across the table from you who just wants the best for you and is willing to take you and hold your hand through every single part of that. So you can find a list of, you know, authorized financial advisors through the Money Smart website. So I absolutely love the Money Smart website. It's moneysmart.gov.au and they have a list of authorized financial representatives in Australia. But once you've got that list, it's very hard to work out who you're going to see. So as you said before, Lauren, going through a recommendation is something that you can do. But if not, contact a couple, ask them for their financial services guides so that you can read through them and understand how they make their money. That's a document that outlines all of their obligations and legalities and how much money they can charge you, but also how they derive their income. And something I am wildly passionate about is fee-for-service financial advisors who do not take a cut of your investment returns. Okay. So understanding the difference between a commission-based financial advisor and a fee-for-service financial advisor is essential. A fee-for-service financial advisor upfront is going to cost you more money, but they are not going to take profit from the money that you make in the future. And to me... That is so important. If you are going to earn money, that is your money. That is not your financial advisor's money. And they are not deserving of the profit that you have made yourself. Does that make sense? So that I makes think perfect it's sense. really important to know that whilst paying up front, you know, it hurts a little bit more. You can actually subsidize some of your financial advice fee through super with some financial advisors. So definitely ask how that works. But making sure that you are finding the right financial advisor for you is really important. It's like finding a doctor. If you go to the GP and you are not comfortable sitting down with them and telling them everything that is wrong with you and your worries and concerns, they are not the right doctor for you and they won't be able to help you. So if you feel judged or if you feel like you're not comfortable with a financial advisor, that's okay. Go interview another one. It's a bit like dating and I think that you need to find the right person to go on that journey with because a financial advice relationship is one that you hopefully will have into retirement and beyond and they're going to be on your team. And if you don't feel like they are on your team, I think that you need to go with gut instinct and find someone who is. Love that. That's, yeah, amazing advice. If you can't afford to go see a financial advisor, what would be your advice? So I mentioned it before, but I love the moneysmart.gov.au website. It has so many financial resources. It has budgets. It has guides on how to start cash flow. It has resources on what your superannuation should be doing and where your insurances should be at. And it actually is a really well-rounded resource that's been put together by money experts. I also, you know, want to shamelessly plug She's on the Money for a second because a community like She's on the Money is going to allow you to engage in money conversations that you weren't otherwise having with people that are open and honest and sharing their experience with a specific super fund or a financial advisor or just talking about their savings tips without it being a taboo topic. That's actually why I started She's on the Money. I just felt like there weren't enough spaces for women to have these conversations about money and learn. It felt very much like a man's world in a way where investment wasn't for women and, you know, understanding a budget or there wasn't a sexy way to talk about it. And whilst it's not a sexy way to talk about budgeting, it's definitely an approachable way where you feel like you're having a chat with your friends to actually get the information that you need and you deserve. On your podcast, you have a segment called Money Diaries. And I think when I first heard this, I was like, oh, I love the honesty. I find women talking about money, like actual numbers, so refreshing and like liberating. And um, you basically, someone will come on and say, this is what I spend my money on. This is how much is coming in. This is what I earn. Like, this is what I, like, you just basically just, just openly and honestly talking about their money situation and their financial situation. And I feel like for a lot of women, it would be really, really uh, eye-opening and informative and it will make you feel less alone because it like today I listened to one where her income was uh, a certain amount and her debt was quite a bit more than her income and I'm like wow this is fascinating and then before that I heard one where she was you know 20 
two, I think, and she just bought like a house. Like it's just fascinating if you are wanting to listen to other people who are of a same similar age, similar experience, just openly talk about their financial situation because we just as you said like it's not something that is spoken about enough and I think I've noticed it a lot and I have the habit of I don't know it's it's hard for me to talk about money even though I love hearing about it because I think if you're a driven and like motivated aspirational woman who has these big business goals and wants to make all this money it's almost a little bit taboo for you to be open about that like we as women I think are it's I don't know, there's an element of like judgment or like a dirtiness about wanting to be successful and earn money or even not earn money. But I love that about your community. It's just everyone is open and it's like we're all here for the same reason. So obviously you guys, I'm I'm sure you've already um, heard the podcast, you're already aware of it. But if there are any of you out there that haven't and you are interested in money or you just want to learn more and maybe you'll just be a silent follower, but you just want to educate yourself more, I definitely recommend jumping onto the She's on the Money podcast and subscribing. And of course, Victoria hasn't asked me to say that. But oh, no, it is so <laughs> kind of you to say that. And I think it's, you know, it's something that's actually blown me away as well. I didn't start this because I was like, oh, I'm going to make this massive money community. I just wanted to have more money conversations with the people that wanted to have money conversations. And I think it's important here to say, you don't have to have a money conversation with someone where you tell them what your income is. We can have such powerful conversations about how we spend our money, what we spend our money on, you know, our opinions of certain spending habits or products or, you know, ways of saving without sharing what we actually earn every single year. Like you can have your private money life while still having constructive conversation about money and your opinion on these things. And I think that's incredibly empowering and really, really powerful. And I'm just so lucky to be surrounded by this community that feels as empowered by these money conversations as I am. I want to ask you, because I feel like this kind of, I don't know, I'm curious about your perspective on this. This is kind of taking a bit of a different path um, away from what we were just talking about, but renting versus buying. So I was having a conversation with a few people on Twitter about renting versus buying and which one is better. And my stance from someone who now owns a house or is or has a mortgage and has rented before and also as someone who is very business driven and wants to start businesses and ingest ingest invest money into the businesses you can ingest it too <laughs> maybe dangerous don't try that at home yeah um, look don't swallow coins like that's expensive <laughs> um so i see the advantage to renting which is that instead of all that money that I put down for the deposit, I could have put that into my business and I could make that money back, you know, 10 times faster. Or some people don't have those those goals and they would rather put that money towards a house. They can settle down, plan their family. There is pros and cons to, I think renting is very looked down upon. It's like, oh, you're paying off someone's mortgage. And whilst that's true, I think it also does depend on your personal goals. And I just want to know what, what your perspective is on that. Like, where do you stand? Do you have a similar kind of mindset or is yours more, I don't know, yeah, what do you think? I'm going yeah, to get back on my values bandwagon <laughs> and talk about the fact that it is all relative to what your values are. So some of my clients are so stuck on, no, I want to own my own family home. It is the biggest thing that, you know, is driving me. But I think that, you know, it's, 2020 things have changed it is not the same as when my parents bought homes for seventeen thousand dollars um but there's also this really big misconception that rent money is dead money and you know you've heard that before everyone's like oh rent money is dead money i can't wait to get into my own home but there's a couple of different viewpoints i have on this and in the name of being completely transparent i rent because i invest my money not in property um and that's a personal decision that i have made it's not to say i won't ever buy property um you know being open both my partner and I have different values on this and at some point we'll probably buy a family home but if it was up to me I probably wouldn't buy a family home because I don't want real estate in my investment portfolio at this point in my life. There's been some research that was done by EY actually um, and they did some research and found that over a 10-year period a renter versus someone who has purchased their home the renter actually comes out financially better off. And the reason for this is people don't take into consideration the actual 
or the additional costs in owning a home. Yes. So they're not taking into consideration how much it costs to pay rates yes. or pay for the water <laughs> <Damn it>. bill. <laughs> yeah, or pay for that repair on that house. You know, so many times you move into your brand new house and it's your home. You've worked, you know, essentially your entire life to get this deposit. So you deserve a new kitchen or you deserve <laughs> a new bathroom. Or, oh, I don't really like the colour of that feature wall from 2001. So I'm just going to paint everything white, um, which I am completely on board with. But I think we need to take into consideration the additional costs associated with purchasing a home, not just, you know, oh, take into consideration stamp duty. It's, well, take into consideration the additional money you would spend on maintaining that home over a 10-year period when you purchase it because I guarantee there are things you want to change. I also think it's really relevant to point out here that, you know, if you're young and you want to purchase a home, do you really want to be putting your money into an asset that is really hard to dispose of? So it's not like you can sell off the bathroom if you need some extra cash. Um, so I think it's really important to point out that, Rent money isn't really dead money, it's lifestyle money, but you do need to be investing regardless of whether you're renting or buying. That is so interesting. I'm so glad I asked you that question because in my head, honestly, to be honest, I was like, there's a 100% chance that you will say, no, you've got to buy, buy a house. No. So, yeah, that's no, so fascinating. I, yeah, I, I think that 2020 is very different to 1970, 1980 purchasing <laughs> homes. If we look at the projection of property prices over the last 30 years, they have grown massively. So we're seeing people who purchased for $150,000 or $200,000 and now their properties are worth $1, $1.5 million. Yeah. And that is actually just really unattainable for us now. So property growth is not going to be continuing in the same way that it has because our incomes aren't growing. So if our property market kept increasing in the same way it has over the last 30 years, we need to have incomes of 3 and $4 million to be able to afford our apartments. Mm. If apartments are going to increase in value and become, you know, an inner city apartment in Melbourne right now is probably worth like $650,000 or $700,000 depending on where you're purchasing, is double that actually going to be attainable if our incomes increase, not in line with the increase of property valuations? Like we actually can't afford it. At this mm. point in time, so many people can't afford mortgages because the repayments are too high. Yeah, I think that's just something people need to think more about. Renting is not something to be ashamed of. In fact, I think it is a really smart move. And as you just said, for all those different reasons, I also want people to take that away from this because I know a lot of my friends are really shocked when I say that I think renting is a good idea because I've obviously gone the other way, um, but it's just something that's been instilled in us. But anyway. You are absolutely correct. But at the end of the day, it's in line with your values. I think you just need to be really educated on what you're spending your money on. Like, have you taken into consideration how much interest you're going to pay on that loan over the 30 years you're going to have that loan? And are you in a position where you want to be locked into a monthly repayment for the next 30 years of your yes. life? Are you ready for that? Do you want the flexibility or do you want to, you know, really lock yourself down and not give yourself the financial freedom you could have otherwise had? And how does super work? So that is such a big topic to be asked about. Um, I actually have a podcast coming up on this in the next couple of weeks. But a really quick crash course is superannuation is forced savings for your retirement that is enforced by the government. Um, it is your money and your employer should be paying a minimum of 9.5% of your salary into your selected super fund through your super guarantee. So your SG, you would see that on your pay slips. Um, you actually have the ability to top that up if you want to making your own contributions um, and where you're eligible, the government is actually able to add to it through co-contributions um, and the low income super contribution rules. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to go too much into superannuation. It is 9.5% of your real money that is invested on your behalf for your future retirement and you need to start caring about it now. We spoke about compound interest before and exactly the same thing happens in your superannuation fund as it does with investments outside of super. And if you start now and you start caring about it and looking after it from the beginning, it's going to look a whole heap healthier when you get to the age where you're thinking about retiring. And also, can I just jump in? And for someone like, if you're someone like me who is self-employed, you have to do this manually. You're obviously, I'm not employed by YouTube 
I I mean, I kind of am, but I'm not an, an employee. That's disappointing. Yeah, damn. <laughs> so, yeah, if, if you're starting your own business or you have your own business, I mean, I'm sure you have an accountant that, that has told you this, but you have to do this manually and don't get lazy about it because when you are older and it's time to retire and you don't have money there, that's going to sting. Just wanted to put, put, to put that out there. Absolutely. And it is so easy for people who are self-employed to go, oh, I'm not going to start paying myself super right now because I can see a better use for that money. Because it is 9.5% of your salary, it's really important that we budget for it in our businesses if we've got them from the beginning and making sure you're paying super because it is so easy for it to slip through your fingers and you not make it a priority for a couple of years and money adds up. So money actually doubles every 10 years. So if you forget about it for a few years, you're really putting yourself back. Someone asked how to keep up with your partner when they earn twice as much as you. So I think that that's a really interesting question and it has so many parts to it that I want to break down. So first is how to keep up with your partner. The question here would be why are you keeping up with someone who earns significantly more than you? They have double the money to spend. Are you trying to keep up because they don't know you earn what you earn yet? Have they got an unrealistic expectation of what you will spend or are they putting that pressure on you? Um, So I think that you need to have a really good think about whether that's a good idea or not for your financial situation. And if, you know, you feel that pressure, why do you feel that pressure? Like, why are you trying to keep up? In any relationship, it's all about compromise and making sure the other person is comfortable and communication. So talk to your partner about that. It's not necessarily that your partner has to then start paying more for you. It's more about, hey, you know, I earn half what you do. Can we maybe do activities that are more in line with my budget and what I want to spend? I'm not ever suggesting that someone should pay more because they earn more. But if you're in a relationship where it is inequitable, I think their expectation of the activities and holidays you go on and the things you buy really needs to change to be in line with what your budget is so you can still feel like you're contributing. And if they then have an expectation of an item that's outside of your budget, it's about having a really respectful conversation about, look, that's not really in line with my budget. I don't think I can do that right now. And them then making the choice to either do it with you or potentially without you in a way that, you know, maybe they are contributing more. But at the end of the day, this is all about communication and you should never feel like you have to keep up with your partner if they have double the income that you do. And lastly, what's one thing we can all do to have a better money story for 2020? Uh, This is my favorite. It's actually have more money conversations. So start one positive money conversation. It's not necessarily about your income or what you're earning or what you're spending, but start having a conversation with someone close to you or someone that you know about money so that you can start teaching yourself that having money conversations shouldn't be taboo. It shouldn't be something that we hide or shy away from. It's something that, you know, empowers us. And the more that we can feel empowered with our everyday conversation, the more likely we are to make bigger, better financial changes to our lives. Yes. And that is exactly why I'm so grateful for you to be on this podcast with me. Thank you so much. Oh, oh, thank you for I've learned so me. much. Yay. No, it's so great. Yay. Money. Yay. <laughs> no, I, yeah. Like I, I love money and I love talking about it and I feel like that sounds – I feel guilty when I say that. So I love that like you've built this community where people are like celebrating it and we're all working no. through it together and it's exciting and yeah. Let's you, do it. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Victoria. You're amazing. Where can we find you? You can find me at She's on the Money AUS on Instagram and on Facebook um, and you can find my personal Instagram at Victoria underscore divine. Thank you so much. Mary, thank you for having me. It has been so wonderful. 